Scripture describes life as a journey, and on this journey, every person comes to a crossroad. Upon coming to that crossroad, you must make a decision. Which way will you go? And that's what we're going to look at this evening from Psalm chapter 1. Which way will you go? You see, one way leads to the kingdom of God. The other way leads to the kingdom of Satan. One way is a wide road that leads to destruction. And the other way is a narrow road that leads to life and blessing. And so in Psalm 1, we are presented with two ways. The way of the righteous and the way of the wicked. Verses 1 through 3 deals with the way of the righteous. Verses 4 through 5 deals with the way of the wicked. And then verse 6 deals with both ways and the choice you have to make. So let's begin with verses 1 through 3 of Psalm 1. And let's consider the way of the righteous. The way of the righteous. And we're going to look at the first two verses here to see the character of the righteous. The character of the righteous. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the paths of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. Notice in verse 1, the word blessed. You know, the word blessed here is an invitation to be favored by God's grace. That's what it means to be blessed, to be favored by God's grace. It's a lot of times we hear, oh, well, if you're blessed, you're happy. And really, the word happiness and the word blessed are not actually synonymous in Scripture. Uh, happiness is uh, your reaction to your happenstance. But blessing is something that's given to us by God. It's His divine favor. Now, as a believer, you and I are blessed. We are blessed because God has given us saving grace. And so from that perspective, we've been blessed. And any time that God determines to pour out His grace or lavish His grace upon us, we're in a position of being blessed. Now, certainly we would need to understand here that the way of the righteous is connected to blessing. So a righteous person is a blessed person. They are favored by God's grace. Now, notice here the negative part of the blessing is expanded on first. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, stand in the path of sin, or sit in the seat of the scoffer. The blessed person, the righteous person, is one who does not walk, stand, or sit with the ungodly, the sinner, or the scornful. First then, he is not to walk in the counsel of the wicked. In other words, the righteous person's worldview, a righteous person's ethical life, a righteous person's moral decisions are not to be dictated by the godless. If you and I are going to claim to be righteous, if we are making the claim that we walk the way of the righteous, then we need to examine ourselves. Is my worldview dictated by godlessness? Is my ethical life dictated by godlessness? Are my moral decisions dictated by godlessness? Second, notice the righteous does not stand in the paths of sinners. In other words, the righteous person's identity, standing, lifestyle are not determined by those in rebellion to God. And so again, we need to examine ourselves and we need to ask ourselves, okay, is my identity wrapped up in how 
God views me or by those who are in rebellion against God? How about my lifestyle? Is that being determined by those in rebellion against God or is my lifestyle being determined and dictated by God and His Word? Third, he says, uh, or the scripture says, that the righteous does not sit in the seat of scoffers. In other words, a righteous person does not learn from nor does a righteous person make decisions based upon the perspective of those who are cynical and proud. Cynicism, being cynical, has no place in the life of a righteous person. Nor does pride. That's what a scoffer is. Somebody who is a scoffer is one who is cynical and proud. And the righteous are to have nothing to do with either of those attitudes. You see, we need to recognize, believer, that you and I are engaged in a battle of worldviews. You know, as Christians in America, we have been so indoctrinated by this postmodern worldview with its anti-supernatural bias that we have become very narrow-minded and or even closed-minded to the very presence and power of God in our day-to-day existence. You know, you read through the book of Acts, and we think, well, look at this unique historical moment. Rather than looking at Acts and saying, hey, this should be the continuing ministry of the church. You know, we pick and choose which scriptures we want to follow so that we can create our own canon within the canon so that we can dictate what God may or may not do, rather than God dictating to us what we can and can't do. Christian, we have been redeemed from the whole structure of this fallen world with its egocentricity, with all of its lies, with all of its moral failures, and with all of its satanic seduction. Therefore, we must avoid it at all cost. Now, the negative expressions in verse 1 prepares for the positive statements in verse 2. How blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked, stand the path of the sinner, sit in the seat of the scoffer, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law does he meditate day and night. Here the righteous person has an attitude of delight in the law of the Lord. And yet today you mention the law of God or the law of the Lord, and Christians like to lose their minds. And yet the Bible says that the way of the righteous is marked by having an attitude of delight in God's law, which in turn leads him to an action. When you have an attitude of delight in God's law, then you will in turn have an action, and that action is he meditates in God's law day and night. Right here ends the debate. There is no question as to whether attitude determines action or action determines attitude. The fact is, the right attitude, delighting in the law of the Lord, will lead to the right action, which is meditation in the law of the Lord. Think of it this way. If you delight in a person, you want to be with that person. If you take delight in a song, you like to listen and sing that song. If you take delight in a book, you want to read that book. And so if we want to delight in God's law, then we're going to want to meditate upon God's law. Now, what is biblical meditation? Well, biblical meditation is not contentless. Instead, it's contentful. 
It's not contentless, it's contentful. Biblical meditation is not accomplished by eliminating our thoughts. No, biblical meditation is accomplished by redirecting our thoughts to the Word of God. In fact, the Hebrew term here for meditate, chagah, means to utter sounds or to speak. It often appears with two other Hebrew terms, zekar, which means to remember or call to mind, and si'ah, to consider or ponder. For example, all three terms are used in Psalm 143.5 when it says, I remember the days of old, I meditate on all your doings, I muse on the work of your hands. And so to meditate then is to recall all that God has said and done. Meditation is to be done continually. That's the idea of day and night. So God says to Joshua in Joshua 1.8, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. You shall call it to mind. You shall ponder it. You shall consider it. You'll speak it day and night, so that you will be careful to do according to all that is written in it. If we want to walk the righteous way, if we want to walk in the path of righteousness, then we have to meditate, ponder, consider, think on God's Word and do according to all that is written in it. Jesus also calls us to the same lifestyle. He said, if you continue in my Word, that word continue means to hear my Word and heed my Word, then you are truly my disciples. And you'll know the truth and the truth will make you free. John 8, 31 to 32. Walking in the counsel of God is, is the call to Bible study. To the, it is a call to scripture memorization. It is a call to a daily time of personal devotion in the Word of God. Now, verses 1 and 2 gives us the character of the righteous. As we consider the way of the righteous, look at the condition of the righteous in verse 3. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yield its fruit in its season... And its leaf does not wither, and whatever he does, he prospers. Verse 3 uses a simile here to describe the righteous person as a tree, planted by streams of water. The idea of streams, rivers, are irrigation ditches. And as the believer meditates, he is being continually watered by those irrigation ditches of the Word of God. And the result of this nourishment is twofold. First... We will yield fruit in season. Now, Christian, if you're walking the way of the righteous, you should be yielding fruit. And if you're looking at your life and saying, hmm, I'm not yielding fruit, first question, are you really saved? And second, if you're saying, well, yes, indeed, I am truly a child of God, then you need to be asking yourself, why is it you're not walking the way of the righteous? Why is it you're not producing fruit? And I'll tell you the simple reason. It's twofold. Number one, you're not meditating on God's Word and doing what you're meditating on. And two, you need to look at where you're at. Where are you walking? Where are you standing? Where are you sitting? So he says here, you'll yield fruit in season. Second, you're going to, your leaf will not wither. You're going to be an evergreen. That's the idea. If your leaf doesn't wither, you're going to continuously be green. 
Now, the fulfillment of fruitfulness lies in Jesus' promise of John 15, 1. If we abide in him, we will bear fruit in its season. In other words, in his time, not ours. That's a lesson we have to continually relearn. The further promise that we're going to be evergreen means that we will not wither even in barren times. And just as God's word stands forever, Isaiah 40 verse 8, so we, as we live and stand on the word of God, will stand forever. Now this section of Psalm 1 concludes with a promise. In whatever he does, he prospers. The righteous person delights in God's law, meditates on God's law, and therefore prospers. Again, note the words of Joshua 1.8, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you'll make your way prosperous, then you will have success. Guided and guarded by God's word, we will live in fullness and blessing as a firm, fruitful tree, rooted deeply against the winds of change. Now that brings us to verses 4 and 5. We've got the way of the righteous, but we also have the way of the wicked. Notice the character of the wicked in verse 4. The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff which the wind drives away. The wicked have already been identified as sinners, as the, as the scorners back in verse 1. They're the opposite of the righteous. They're not regenerate, they're the unregenerate. Rather than being a sturdy oak, they're like chaff which the wind drives away. He's using a metaphor of a threshing floor in which the wheat is brought in and it's, it's uh, threshed so that the kernels of wheat as they're thrown up into the air fall back down to the ground as the wind blows away the worthless chaff. Friends, if we are severed from the Word of God, that means that you have no root, no nourishment, no fruit, no life, or as in Jesus' parable in Matthew 7, you're like a house built on sand, you will be demolished by the storms of life. Don't walk the way of the wicked. The way of the wicked has no root, no nourishment, no fruit, and no life. Look at the condition of the wicked in verse 5. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. Their condition is twofold. They have no real future, and they have no real present. They will not stand in the judgment. In other words, there's coming a day of judgment when all of the wicked secrets are going to be revealed and God's absolute justice is going to triumph. And the ungodly, the wicked, are completely unprepared for this final judgment. Now that's the future, but look, second, sinners do not presently stand in the assembly of the righteous. Folks, if you're walking the way of wickedness, don't count yourself amongst the congregation of the righteous. If you choose to walk the way of the wicked, you are choosing to exclude yourself from the people of God. Psalm 24, verse 3 and 4 says, Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in His holy place? And here's the answer. He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to falsehood and has not sworn deceitfully. There are four marks there, and we're going to examine these later. There are four marks there in Psalm 24, as to who can come into the presence of God. The wicked have no business coming to the presence of God. In fact, God bars them presently 
from being in his presence. They are alienated from believers. They are living in bitter hopelessness of a coming judgment. And now verse 6. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The assurance of the righteous is that the Lord knows our ways. The verb yeda, to know, means to have an intimate relationship with. Here the psalmist is using this verb to indicate that the Lord has an intimate relationship so that He keeps on knowing us. His eyes are ever upon us. His ears are ever open to us. His Spirit abides within us forever. Our security is not simply temporal. Our security is eternal. As Luther said, the way I do not know, but well do I know my guide. But the ungodly are not so. They're captive to their sin. They're governed by this world. They've taken a way that leads to death. They will not stand in the judgment, but instead will perish. In fact, the root meaning of the Hebrew word here means they will literally wander off. They're like an animal. They will wander far from the safety of the flock. They will stray from the watchful eye of the Lord. And they will suffer ultimate disaster because of that. Psalm chapter 1. A call to meditation upon the law of God. We are blessed. We are delivered from the vanity of this world as we delight in His Word, as we respond to His Word, as we obey His Word. But I ask you as I close, which way will you choose? Will you choose to avoid the counsel of the wicked in our secular society? Will you avoid the way of the sinner? Will you avoid the seat of the scorner, of the cynic, of the proud one? Will you choose to meditate on God's Word continually? And will you choose to obey it? Choose you this day. Which way? The way of the righteous or the way of the wicked? The way of life or the way of damnation? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the Word of Psalm 1 to us. And Father, indeed, it comes down to two choices, two ways that we must walk. We'll either choose to walk the way of the righteous or we'll choose to walk in the way of the wicked. But Father, help us to understand that the choice we make determines our eternal destiny. No, Father, we're not claiming to believe in a works-based salvation. We know that salvation is totally of you. It's by grace, through faith, plus no work of our own. But Father... If we are truly yours, if we are truly your child, then we, as we look at our life, we will know and can say with assurance that, yes, we are walking in the way of the righteous. Father, we confess there are times when we wander off that road. We wander off the way. We soon find ourselves walking, sometimes even standing, even sitting, Lord. Father, I pray that you might come alongside of us and snatch us out of that. Rescue us from that fire and put us back in the way of righteousness in which we should walk. Lord, if someone's listening, examining their life, says that their entire life is dictated by the way of wickedness, then, the Father, I pray that you might bring them to repentance and faith. That, Father, you might work in them to come to a place of acknowledging their utter hopelessness. That, Father, help them to not be deceived, thinking that all is right with this world, all is right with themselves, but rather, God, that they might see that they have been alienated and cut off from the family of God. That, Father, there is a future judgment awaiting them. And that, Father, you might rouse them out of their doldrum and save them to the uttermost. 
and place them on the way of righteousness. We pray in your son's name. Amen.